Hey guys, here we are at Horror Movie Survival Guide. Nope, try that again. Take that it. was great. <laughs> That's really how it is, though, because you know what? We can't see each other right now, Julia, because we here at Horror Movie Survival Guide are recording remotely right now. So uh, because of, you know, um, a little thing called the corona um, is going around. And so we are doing our part to um, shelter in place and, and stay safe and keep our social distance with our friends and family. And that includes our friends that we record with together. Yeah, it's very weird to not be looking at your face while I'm doing this show because we are always right across the table from each other. Yep. Uh, but of course, we are in quarantine, as if in the horror movie ourselves, one might say. And here to do our best are trying to record uh, from three different locations. Our, our producer Wes is also here. So we just wanted to give you a little disclaimer and let you guys know that um, we are doing our best to give you the best sound and quality that we can uh, with our equipment from home. So if if it doesn't sound like the pod usually does, that's why. Uh, but we love you and we are still happy to give you content and bring out fresh shows each week um, as long as we can and it's feasible and possible. We do appreciate your support and your understanding. Of course. And so, yes, just be a little generous with any technical glitches you might hear. We, uh, we hope you know that we're trying to give you something to give you a little bit of cheer in this kind of dreary time. But we're here for you and we love you guys and we are so happy to have you as listeners. Stay safe and healthy and enjoy the show. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Welcome to Horror, Horror Movie Survival, Survival Guide. Guide. I'm Julia. <laughs> I'm Terry. And uh, this week we are talking about 1990s Misery. Misery. And title of episode is Making You Feel All Oogie. Oogie <laughs> boogie. The tagline for this movie, I think, is one of the best taglines there is. Full stop. I think it's amazing. I think this is what taglines should live up to. Are you ready for it? All right. Lay it on us. Paul Sheldon used to write for a living. Now he's writing to stay alive. Bam. Dun, dun. It's so good. It's so right on. It makes you it makes you curious. It describes the film completely. I love it. Um, this movie was made for $20 million and it made $61 million. Woo. Okay. Yeah. So wow. uh, this is written by William Goldman, who uh, did Butch Cassidy, All the President's Men. Um, and also this was this is this, the film he did right after Princess Bride. Oh, you know. I love uh, this with Reiner as well, right? Yes, with Reiner as well. Um, and William Goldman also wrote the screenplays for uh, Hearts in Atlantis, another Stephen King adaptation and Dreamcatcher. Which is not as a successful uh, adaptation as this is. <laughs> I would uh, say no. that straight up. <laughs> Not very um, good. <laughs> I have some uh, some alternate universe casting for you. Okay. 
Ready. So for uh, Paul Sheldon, we could have had uh, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. William Hurt, who I think okay. would have done a, a very good job with this. Um, yep. And I feel like he, every time we do this, Richard Dreyfus is like uh, in the casting. He's always in the mix. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just not as hot. Like. <laughs> I get, yeah, I get caught over him any day, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and then for Kathy Bates, um, and not for Kathy Bates, for, sorry, for Annie Wilkes, we could have had uh, Jessica Lange mm-hmm. or Angelica Houston, which I was like, huh. Ooh, that would have been a very interesting choice. She's got such a different energy. Yeah. I feel like what's so cool about Kathy Bates is that she has this, like, um, she can seem kind of innocent at times. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a, she's got this weird childhood, like innocence, obviously, you know, she can also go batshit crazy, which she does beautifully in this film. But there's something about her sweetness that Angelica Houston is like literally the opposite energetically to me that mm-hmm. I think would be would, would be a very different film. But imagine if you have a Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston match. Oh, yeah. Right. Like those energies are matching up 100 percent. Totally. But I still just, I love the magic that they got with this weirdness of, of Khan and, and Bates. And I know. Oh she, no, I do too. Yeah. It's just, oh. So there was uh, apparently a 2015 Broadway version of this film, of this film um, with Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf. What? How do I, not, how do I feel like I not know this? That's such a random. Yeah. I yeah. would watch that too. What was I doing I in 2015? Like- I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know if Laurie Metcalf would be uh, physically imposing enough. She's quite small, isn't she? Yeah, but she's but, tough as shit. Like, she's yeah, so no, she's good at being like tough as nails. And I don't think you have to be like big in stature to do this part. I yeah. think you just need to be like able to like flip on somebody and like show you're crazy. You well, I, mean? I don't no. know because so I you know the reason I wanted to talk about this film was obviously Stephen King, but also because I had just read, re- read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks so much in the book about how big she is because uh, she has to physically get him and out in and out of bed all the time. And right. he's and like also a big dude. From the car and all that stuff too. Right. So like, and she's working on this farm all by herself. And so she's chopping wood and doing all this stuff. And she's just like a very big lady. And like Kathy Bates is kind of a big, a big lady. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the, the, one thing that, you know, the, what reading the book is so exciting because you get to read the parts he writes about misery in the, in the novel. So you read the novel within the novel, oh, and, and which is okay. really cool. And then they have it, you know, so she says the typewriter's N is missing. And so in the novel, you get to see like his typing, all the ends have been filled in with pen. And then oh, like later yeah. other letters start to fall off and like it, you know, and so it's, it was just very cool to have that. So obviously that's missing from the film version, but it's still you know, you can never be exactly, but I think this is as, as good as a film version as you're going to get of this novel for sure. Totally. Um, and this one is, uh, it takes place in Sidewinder, which is the town right next to the Overlook Hotel. I was wondering about that because from the opening sequence, I was like, Overlook, I wrote in my notes and I was like, this looks a lot like The Shining. Glad I saw that too. Because um, it looked like the same type of roads. So I was like, oh, but it's, oh no. And it's snowing. I was like, oh no, this is not good. It's never good when you're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of a beginning of a Stephen King <laughs> story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's not uh, going to go good for you, dude. Yeah. So we open with him uh, finishing his novel. Uh, Paul Sheldon is a, and he's uh, going out uh, to celebrate, having a little champagne to celebrate on the way. Yeah, he has a road. cigarette, champagne. Yeah. Always a good idea to drink champagne right before you drive in the snow. 
in a tiny yeah car a tiny mustang uh when it's snowing in colorado so uh he has a car crash and uh he's pulled from the car yeah he's pulled from that wreckage yeah by uh by annie by annie wilkes who uh yeah. lives uh in the middle of nowhere near sidewinder and is uh he is coming to and not really clear what is happening because he's been in an accident he's in a lot of pain but also he's not in a hospital so what is happening here yeah i was wondering i was like what kind of room is this like where is he at and i was like oh no it's not a hospital at all it's some lady's house okay um you know it's, it's it looks like a sweet place though it looks well kept and clean and you know, it looks like he's his wounds have been cared for in some shape or form. So somebody obviously knows what they're doing. Um, but he, when we finally do, what she shows him his legs, it's so bad. Dear God, yeah, she she shows him how she's put his legs back together because they were all to pieces apparently. And uh, I almost like literally like vomped. Like it was so <laughs> gross. <laughs> it was so gross. I mean, it's just like, I thought I was like, well, it looks like clay cartoon too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they're not, they don't look like real life legs. Like but what if those really were your legs looking like that? That, is like, yeah, oh, that stuff happens, you know, if you, know. you break your leg in that many places and everything is going to swell and, um, clearly, you know, he's going to, it's going to be a long time before that guy can, can get up on his feet again. Um, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I was just saying we get a little flashback to you because we're like, wait, what happened to this guy before? We can get this moment, which I love with Lauren Bacall. Her mm-hmm. voice is everything to me. Um, yes. And she's his literary, we find out this is Paul Sheldon, um, James Conn's character's literary agent. Um, and, you know, she is talking with him about Misery Business, which I got really excited about because I was like, that's a really great song by Paramore. I'm guessing that they were excited, inspired by this movie. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, it's a really good hit, big hit. And I love that song a lot. I have people who sing it at karaoke often. Check it out. Um, it's a super good song. I'm guessing it, they were probably inspired by it because it's, that's the name of the song is Misery Business. And so I was like, oh, Misery Business. And he's talking about how he doesn't want to write these books anymore. These these are basically the things that have made him famous. And I, I was like, ooh, writer's conundrum. I love it when Stephen King gets all meta, um, mm-hmm. you know, writing about writers and stuff. And often writers, I think, do feel pigeonholed. And I know he's had nom de plumes and stuff that he's written other sure. stuff under. Mm-hmm. Like almost every big author at some point will ultimately do either just trying to get their stuff out there or trying to do a different brand of something. So he's trying to rebrand. So you get that this is probably the new novel that he's working on to rebrand that story. So. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that though, because actually, so uh, Stephen King's Nanda Plume, which is R- Richard Bachman, uh, this this was actually supposed to be a Richard Bachman novel, uh, but he was outed. The name was outed right before, so it ended up being a Stephen King novel. So uh, he's there's always meta ness with him. That's what he, one of the things that makes him so great. Right. Uh, but so we find out that. Um, Annie Wilkes was following uh, Paul from the hotel because she knows his routine because she happens to be his number his one biggest fan. Yes. And this is where this is why this film, you know, this this is so brilliant. This novel and this film is this because this really is Stephen King's worst nightmare, right? This is what if this happened? What is the worst case scenario you could think of from your number one fan? And this is really it. So you think about yeah, pretty bad. Your number one so fan wants to hold you hostage. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, she did save his life. But also gonna hold you hostage. 
but also like is going to take the rest of it. So she's like, my trade is that I get to keep you now as like my little pet basically. Um, But he doesn't get hip to it right away. Um, cause she's got him drugged up for a while as he's yeah. healing and she, you know, she's feeding him and letting him know, Hey, you know, cause the snow, the blizzard, the roads are actually closed to the city. There's no way of getting out. Oh, and because of the storm, the, st- the phone lines are down. So right. horror movie, like one-on-one is like no communication, no way out. Uh Oh, yes. like you sure. automatically, even if you, even if he was well, and this was the case, he'd probably feel very trapped and very anxious because that's just anxious induced, anxiety inducing. Obviously, we don't know what that's like being locked down and feeling like we're never going to get out. Too sorry, true. too meta pandemic. Pandemic. I'm so sorry. As we record this, our first episode recording remotely from each other. In I the know. Midst of this mayhem, it's so weird. But we're I was watching, keeping the yeah. flame alive. Right. But as we were, as I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, like, this is like what people, some people are in places where it's snowing right now and it's cold and whatnot. And they're, they're stuck inside mm-hmm. and that's it. And it just feels like it's never going to end. So anywho, I love it. We get to meet the sheriff, um, shortly after this Buster. Buster and Virginia, his wife, who's the deputy, dear goodness, I am obsessed with them, <laughs> their relationship and them hitting on each other and him being like, Ooh, getting me all like getting all spicy and frisky or whatever. Like they're... <laughs> <laughs> everything to me and i love like a maybe rfd like kind of situation and that's what I, i'm getting from them like that full like old-timey old-timey like town sheriff vibe um but he's obviously smarter than he looks that kind of that kind of uh everything i love that and uh lauren bacall's character had had called him because he we don't know where paul sheldon is that he we know he checked out of the hotel but we don't know after that there was nothing so she's asking him to look around but he's like there's a blizzard and they can't really get to it and they like drive by and like almost he almost like he almost sees the car he thinks he sees something but doesn't actually and it's all covered in snow so it's like the worst time to try to find anything or anyone because you can't really get anywhere or talk to anyone right everything's covered with an extra layer from the blizzard so the evidence is under underneath snow so even as he's like goes on like a helicopter ride to like overhead they still can't see anything yet. And they're mm-hmm. so close each time. And it's just that like that pool, obviously, because like Paul can hear the helicopter and it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, you can see that like, oh, maybe we're going to get out of here mm-hmm. and maybe get life lighted or something, you know, but no, it's not the case this time. No. So um, Annie had found in Paul's things um, his new novel, which uh, is untitled in the film, but is called Fast Cars in the book. So I don't know what they change it for, but apparently she has read it. She started to read it. She doesn't like it. There's too much swearing. This is not a misery novel. What is he doing? All she wants is misery. Rushes to town the day that the new misery novel comes out and is is thrilled to be pieces, to be able to read, be reading this within the presence, of course, of her, of the writer. Uh, her hero. Then, yeah. Her hero. And she, misery, her very favorite character, so much so she has named her pig after her misery. Yep. Her pet pig on the farm, this big snarfing, that scene where he meets her. <laughs> Dear God, (laughs) like he's finally kind of catching on like, oh, this is not a great situation that I'm stuck in right now because she's already shown her colors a couple times at this point where like she spilled soup on him and like goes off on him. Like she seemed Mm -hmm. like this sweet kind of nursey type of like almost like um, uh, like nun like, you know, like this like very like, you know, everything's prim and proper seems mildly asexual, but also like maybe just him sexual. Do you know what I mean? Though, like like she's not really. She does say she loves him. Yeah. And he's like, ooh. And he's like, you're mine. Your creativity. You're like, nah, it's not what you meant, though, <laughs> is it? Nah, nah, it is not. 
<laughs> she's yeah, she's just that's it. She's very singularly focused and has very specific taste. Um, but yeah, she's very upset by this new book that's come out because it is not what she wanted. And that pet pig is anyway. Um, <laughs> she goes. She goes. She rushes into town to buy the new misery novel. Reads it, uh, and misery dies. Misery dies at the end, and she, it loses her fucking shit. Uh, and it's just not like this. Just not accepting that this is this is how it is. Um, so she thinks. She says she, she does. She's she's just gonna leave. She just want to be around it for a while. And she's like, but she she does. She says, if you die, if I die, you die. And that's really all there yeah. is. So and then she, she leaves drive, him. Yeah, she drives off now and leaves him on his own. And he's like, well, because he could see her from his window leaving. So he decides to pull himself out of the bed with his terrible, cartoonishly broken freaking legs um, that are oh. still healing. So he doesn't have a way to get himself safely onto the ground without just falling onto the ground onto his freaking arty just busted up legs. He's also got a dislocated shoulder. So when he has mm-hmm. one good arm, basically like all his other appendages on his body are broken. Um, so he, um, jumps down onto the bat onto the floor and, um, scoots himself to the door. Um, oh, it's just torture then, watching him. It is. It's terrible. But then he gets, of course he gets to the door and the door is locked. Like, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I'm just like, what is he going to do? And just, it's so like, there's so much tension in that. Like, I don't think of Rob Reiner as someone who directs a tense horror film, but then you watch this, and you're like, holy fuck, it's so fucking good. I mean, he's a good director, period. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like it's in his, his, his wheelhouse. DNA. But it totally is. Yeah. It totally is, though. But honestly, I think about like Princess Bride and stuff too. And it's like, Princess Bride is full of tension. Like, watch it again if you haven't watched it recently. It's a great film to watch during this time because um, it's kind of joyous too. But there's so much tension between like, are they going to get back together? What's going to happen? How he builds it to eventually, you know, little, our little Fred Savage is like, no, but we need to know. Like, I feel like he's, he can push and pull. Um, yeah. He just does such a cool job in this as well. Um, each time you think he's going to like get out of there or something good is going to happen. And it's always so close. All these brushes of ugh, escape. So uh, Annie comes back, says she had asked God about the situation. And he said that he delivered him unto you so that you may show him the way. So she decides that the way is to burn the, what she knows is the only copy of his new book so that she can, he can start writing the new misery novel. Yeah, whether she, mm-hmm. he likes it or not, because there's really yeah. nothing he can do to stop her. <laughs> and she knows it's the only copy. He tries to bluff, and he, I love this scene too, where he's trying to bluff about it. And she's like, "No, no, no! I when I said I was your super fan, I freaking meant it. I saw you. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you. I saw you. I know that you wrote about it. How like she's like I read about it. Blah blah blah. She's like, I know that you go up where you go to write. You go up, come up here to that inn. You you know have a whole process about it, and you're superstitious." And you only have one copy because uh, that's how you got your first book published. And that's what you do. So I know this is it. Um, so she hands him a match. Um, she's got a grill, like a barbecue, a little mini barbecue grill in the room, which I was like, oh, that's just asking for some trouble. And uh, yeah, and catches the curtain on fire, you know? Yeah, and which, she puts some like lighter fluid on it and stuff. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a, the catches cur- the curtain on fire in your moment where you're like, oh my God, are you going to be in this situation and the house is going to catch on fire? Uh, but able to put it out and it's uh, fine. So um, he is 
uh, he starts to, so she's been giving them this drug called Novril, which is like a, you know, painkilling thing. And so he starts to like hoard his Novril. He wants to cut himself back because he realizes if he's drugged up. He has no way he's going to get out of this. So right. he starts to, to cheek, uh, put it in his cheek and not take it and then like put it in the mattress to hide it. He gets his fork and cuts a little, you know, space underneath the bed, underneath the mattress. And yeah, he's hoarding them. But then he also decides that he's going to start saving the insides of them and makes like this little, gets a piece of paper and makes like a little makeshift little packet that he can store all the insides. So he's popping open the pills because they're those ones, the little capsules and he pops them open, is saving all the insides so that he can hopefully, he's saving up to drug her um, and put her out which I think is a super solid plan. I was like, good final yeah. boy move. Like if yes. you're trying to get out of a place and they're trying to drug you, like don't take the drugs. A, um, even if they f- make you feel good for a little while, like that's right. going to keep you, not your brain sharp. I know that's like how it is when you get like, I just, you know, it's surgery earlier this year. And I remember like tr- taking extra, all these drugs, trying to wean myself off. I was like, you don't want to get stuck on that stuff. Um, yeah. so, um, he's, he's getting strong. He's getting smart about it. And um, yeah, I really think I think Paul Sheldon is an excellent final boy. I think he makes a pretty good, you know, they don't always turn out as he wants them to turn out, but uh, pretty good uh, decisions throughout this entire film. Right. Um, Heavens so- to Betsy, I agree. Anyway, <laughs> Annie Wilkes uses all those, <laughs> all That's these like fun phrases. Yeah. Heavens to Betsy. Ooh, oogie mess and all these little things. And she sounds like the sweetest little down home person until she turns, um, which is great. And I love, um, even after this moment, um, uh, after he, we start realizing that he's saving stuff, they cut to her like watching TV. Cause she's talking about how she had watched Merv Griffin, how she knew about him, like not keeping that, um, I think she's watching late night TV and eating Cheetos and Coca-Cola. And I really, uh, just love how regular she seems uh-huh. <laughs> just chilling, yeah. you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, she seems so sweet. And if you drove by that lady's place and you just talked to her, you would have no idea that she was a cold ass murderer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's how serial killers and, you know, psychotic people can be right. They, they seem normal to, you know, he's so, he was so sweet. He was so quiet. And then, you know, there you are. Right. Then you get a madness. So she wants him to write misery's return, uh, right. which she expects to be his masterpiece. Um, but he, he's trying to delay and he's trying to figure out how he can get out of it. Like, he doesn't want to write this thing, right? Like this is what he's not wants to do with his life. But the, she t- he tells her that the paper that she bought is not, the right kind because it yep. smears but you say but it's the most expensive kind mm-hmm. and he shows her yeah let me show you you know he's not being aggressive about it in any way but just wants to show her uh yeah she flips the fuck out <laughs> yeah especially right after she was like did i do good that's her little thing like did i do good he's like yeah you were you were great you were perfect or whatever and <laughs> tries to convince her but he's like no actually the deal is this is wrong and she slams that fucking paper on his busted ass legs um which was just awful by now he's in a wheelchair though he's healed up enough to like be a little bit mobile so she's put him in this chair so she can push him into the table to write his salvation comes in the single bobby pin that falls from her hair that he's able to pick the lock with when she squeals off to go to town and get his paper for him so now he finally gets to see this freaking creepy ass house um it is Can I tell you my fa- my, my favorite detail in her house? Is Besides how all the Liberace? Yes. 
how much she loves Liberace. That's my favorite part. <laughs> it's my weird favorite thing too. I was like, honestly, I was like, I'm obsessed. Cause I also like, I know we talked about, I think in an episode recently about how you love, there's like some puppet museum in Vegas. My weird obsession oh, yeah. was the Liberace museum. And when oh, they yeah. finally closed it, I was like devastated. Um, cause it was such a weird, wonderful, like old timey Vegas thing. Like he had, they had all his cars and all oh. his out matching outfits next to the car, and then the piano that oh. matched the car that matched the outfit. Do you know what I mean? You're though, away. It's so good. it was like it's so so sad that it's gone. But it was like literally, I was such a weird kid too because I was like, when we would go, like at fifteen and sixteen, I'd be like, we have to go <laughs> to the Liberace Museum, please. Like since I was a kid, I would always want to go there. Uh, so she, I love you. That's why we're friends, man. Yeah, because we get it. Yeah, uh, so she, great. <laughs> She, uh, she has the, she has a kind of a, a Liberace shrine, also a Paul Sheldon shrine, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, really excited to get to the phone, um, to discover that there's nothing inside of the phone. It's just yeah, it's for like decoration. a vintage phone. It's just a vintage phone for decoration an old timey, like rotary type phone. There's a, a tense moment where his wheelchair knocks against the table full of ceramic animals. Uh, one falls a penguin and he saves it, but puts it back the wrong way. Yeah. She's mm. the kind of person she's going to know. You know, mm-hmm. like it's one of those things where like, I'm one of those weird people. I think too, I have a lot of like weird tchotchkes in my room too. And like people, co- I, can, I can tell if someone's touched them. <laughs> oh. I know which direction they're usually facing. Uh, so he's checking all of the doors. Um, all of them are locked. He's, he's able to steal some novel so he can get some more to drug her with um, and try. He can't, his wheelchair can't fit through the kitchen door frame. Not ADA compliant, these old houses. Mm-mm. So he's, he's got to pull himself out of the wheelchair. Yeah. And I wrote, anytime he has to move his legs is absolutely terrifying to me in the whole film. Anytime he has to get out of the chair by himself is just heart-wrenching. And you know it's just got to be so beyond painful because his legs look so bad. Just so bad. Well, and I, this is why I wish I could watch uh, this movie with an audience would be incredible because I can imagine the sounds that people make oh, when his oh, legs thump to the yeah. floor. Yeah. That noise, right? Yeah. But like 500 people making that noise is the best. Oh, and then like... <laughs> I miss it. I miss when, it so much. When he eyes, eyes the knives, I could imagine everybody yelling at the screen too. Just like, get that, get yeah. a knife, get a fucking knife. And he struggles back to this room because he starts, he's like realizes and hears her coming back. So he's like, got to get himself back over to his room. And she comes in the house. And of course, because he's done this like heroic stuff for his his ailing body he is drenched like dripping with sweat and like looks crazy and she just says your color is very hectic (laughs) (laughs) and and he's like talking about how you know is really tired and she's like says i have faith in you my darling and all these like platitudes and stuff um and and he he convinces her james con's face is so good at just being he's so uncomfortable and freaked the fuck out and trying so hard to act normal and that reads so well you know with, with him oh but, yeah and so, and he just says like oh you know he needs he needs his drugs as well um they uh the buster finds is able to find the car yeah the sheriff uh buster the sheriff. finally um and he knows they, by the dents in the door that someone pulled him out because even the though dent- the police and the TV and everything like their news comes by they all report him basically dead because he mm-hmm. went missing during the blizzard but because Buster's smarter than the average bear he's like no 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 somebody pried him out of this car like you don't get out of this car by yourself like this yes he's somewhere and you know we, I don't know where yet but he's somewhere so he gets to doing a little more research and re- starts reading all the misery books for looking for some clues Mm-hmm. And 
so he starts to, after, you know, much chagrin, starts to write this next misery novel. So at the end of the last one, we know that she died. And so when he finally gives her the first chapter to read, she comes back and says, you know, he's expecting her to be exuberant. Um, just says, I'm sorry, Paul, that this is all wrong. You're going to have to do it over again. This is not worthy of you. And gives him this story and this kind of progressively scarier, angrier, yellier tone about, you know, she used to go to uh, the movies when she was a kid and they'd In do this cliffhanger. Where she grew up. In Bakersfield. Watching Rocket Man the cereal. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, uh-huh. and that you know there was this episode of the cliffhanger, and that you know they had shown the hero go over the cliff, and the car was uh, you know, and the next week he had gotten out of the car before, but that wasn't how it happened in the week before, and she had stood up in the theater and started screaming about it, and you're like, oh, she was like that even as a kid. <laughs> oh, Annie Wilkes, totally. She's like, I don't like this ending. You got to fix it. She's like, no, yeah. I get it, and we get it. Like, I love this because I felt like this was like a comment on fans for like King in general because his endings are notoriously not what people want sometimes oh, I yeah, think I would say that's, so, that's true I think that happens often to him and so he's just like well you know I made the ending the ending and that's it and like this is kind of it and he, this is how I think he feels sometimes when people go crazy right but it's interesting too how she describes the ending that the character of Ian in the misery books goes through and how she's trying to tell him to fix it towards you know in the way back how he could fix it and the guy like strangely mirrors what happened to him like he was out on a ride and he falls or something happens to him and and like that's how he fell and like it sounds similar to kind of like the to Paul's car crash a little bit too mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of meta and cool um and this is right around this time too where one of my favorite scenes that I actually like while I was watching this I was like Julie I sent it to her because I was laughing so hard about him trying to write and he just gets the typewriter and writes fuck 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 fuck, fuck yeah. on the typewriter yeah. And I was like, oh, every writer ever. This is so real. Like when you have uh-huh. that moment where you're like, I have to write this thing. You have a deadline, this literal deadline. Like this person could probably kill you deadline. Yeah. Um, what do you do with it? And so, um, so great. So she, he does start the book over uh, yeah. at her request. Um, and they end up um, having this, this dinner, this dinner scene together uh, where she's, she's made him some meatloaf. Uh, they want to celebrate him fixing the, fixing the book. Yes. Yes. Uh, some some spam meatloaf sounds delicious, um, but with the real reason that he wants to have dinner with her is to drug her wine. Yep. And so we, of course, as the audience, pulling for him so hard to fucking drug this fucking woman and just stab her to death, uh, drugs it while she's out of the room, and when she comes back, totally knocks it over and spills it on the table. He's like, oh no! Was, that was one of those moments. I was like, classic iocane powder. Um, switch, switch. You know, like yes. uh-huh. thinking about that um, and and getting drugged and oh. It's great too. And it's such a great like little fake too. Cause he was like, Oh, um, it's dinner's not complete. So he can drug it after she's poured the wine. He says, it's not complete without candles, like playing to her, like romantic nature inside. And she's like, Oh yes, no, let me go find some candles. And she's looking and he's frantically, you know, pouring the stuff in there. And then she comes in and knocks that glass right over. And it is devastating. It is. Um, and, but he's been getting, he's doing his good fi- survival vinyl boy work, lifting weights with the typewriter to get his arms strong, to get back in shape. So he knows he's might going to have to fight this bitch. So like he's getting ready for that. Yeah. And he um, has to continue typing while she freaking plays Liberace records all freaking day. Um, and he the tells sheriff- her he loves them. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, what else do you say? He was like, yeah, who was in the front row when he would play Madison Square Garden? I would be yeah, there. That's me. <laughs> me, of course. I love that. I love I love that he had to pretend <laughs> that he was like the biggest Liberace fan too. It's kind of wonderful. Um, and the sheriff continues to read during this time. We're getting cuts of him figuring stuff out and 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 getting a little closer to solving this mystery. And the rain um, comes, so yeah, as well, which gives yes. her the blues. Um she yes. says, You'll never know the fear of losing someone like you for someone like me. Yeah. Like, I feel that though. I feel that beautiful, uh, brilliant, she, famous man of the world. She has a big fear of loss. Yep. And she also shows them a gun. <laughs> yeah. Reveal. She has a gun, not something you want to see. No bullets in it. Uh, but says that she's, uh, she says she's going to, she's just going to go away. She's going to go away for a while and drives away in the middle of the night. And Paul's like, okay, let's get this fucking knife. Let's do this shit. And like, is ready to get out there. Um, and is, is waylaid by a memory book. Yeah. Which reveals, uh, who Annie Wilkes, really is the dragon lady she's got the scariest scrapbook you've ever did see yeah so she's the dragon lady and it's like all these newspaper clippings of the things that she's done throughout her life um from nursing school on um yes she did was a nurse but she was like the nurse of death she killed a bunch of babies which i was just like oh um like all these there's all these infant deaths and this like um pediatric ward and stuff um she was not a good lady and there's also all these other people that have gone missing um Mm -hmm. that she's clearly been obsessed with yes so um and this is a part annie wilkes is actually partially based on an actual life uh serial killer named janine jones who did kill 60 infants as a nurse so it's a real life thing which is you know it's awful so we get to Paul practicing with his knife right after this. He's like getting ready, like to pull it out of his like little, um, his sling that he's got his arm, you know, and he's got it hidden in there. He's like ready for when she comes home. Um, he has it in there, but then he moves it under the bed Ugh. instead of keeping it on his person. Bad you know, he falls, I, I mean, he falls asleep. He's like, he, he's waiting for her to come back like, all night. And it's like, she's not coming back. He's got to get some sleep. Um, and it just immediately injects him with something. And you're like, Oh, She's a nurse. She got all sorts of stuff. What is going she to happen? Good drugs. Yep. Okay. So here's the scene that everybody loves. Terry, you want to talk about this scene? Iconic scene. I mean, one of the only things I really knew about this movie before watching it is this scene, really. Because this is like the yeah. one they play on like all the clips and when you see all the things. And like I even watched a little thing about her getting this part of before I watched the movie. I was like, oh my God, amazing. This is it. So this is where she um, lets him know, hey, um, looks like you're getting stronger and getting ready. I see this. Um, and you're trying to leave me. And my biggest fear I've already revealed to you is that I do not need you. I do not want you to leave. So she tells him the story about these miners. Um, and you know that she was like, yeah, these guys, I think in Columbia or something where she was just like, um, they, instead of letting people leave the mines because the work was so valuable, they would actually hobble them. And so she hobbles him to keep him there. And what that means is she sticks the wood between his little ankles and kicks those feet. (laughs) <laughs> with a sledgehammer um, and basically breaks both his ankles uh, in, in the most excruciating, no pain medicine around kind of way. Uh, well, so she, she, just did, she, she did just inject him with something, but we don't know what she injected yeah. him with. Uh, but it is. And she says, God, gross. I love you right after it. Oh, it's so gross and brutal <laughs> and terrible. Imagine watching this in the theater full of people. Amazing. Oh. Um, here's an interesting thing about this. Uh, I was surprised reading the book because actually this is different in the book. What? In the book, 
Yeah. So you think this is the the iconic thing. In the book, it's even worse. In the Mm -mm. book, she chops his left ankle, his left foot off entirely with an axe and then uses like a blowtorch to cauterize his stump. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Um, okay, great. Thanks for that, Julia. Um, so either way, um, terrible. And that's true hobbling, though. Actually, was usually, I, yes. what I thought was usually taking a limb of some sort of taking your toes or something, so like you can't move as efficiently. Um, great. So we're gonna cut to the, the town after that. Yeah. So sheriff, Buster, yeah, yes. Buster, Sheriff Buster um, sees and hears Annie in town, and he's been doing some library research, and he and he finds out that she's been buying paper from this little store. Um, not a strange purchase. Let's the shop owner. No, 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 not out of the ordinary, but she, uh, that is kind of out of the ordinary. If you're trying to buy something for an author or a writer, mm-hmm. um, would be extra paper. So Buster is getting hip to her game and he drives out to her place. Um, and while he's driving out, um, Paul can see him through the window that the sheriff is on his way. So she goes ahead and sedates the motherfucker. Um, uh-huh. as she's and tries to hide him in the basement. Um, yep. so the sheriff doesn't know he's there. So she throws him down the stairs, but not throw him, but like she drags him down the stairs. Um, and, uh, so the sheriff is smart, but not as smart as I wish he could be. He's got his little country right. bumpkin self, but he gets it, it makes, works his way into the house and she's, you know, good at evading him throughout the, the time he's there. He leaves, but he hears something down below because he hears uh, something clatter uh, because Paul was able to, even though he's like drugged and because his limbs aren't really working super great, he's able to knock over uh, the barbecue grill that's downstairs in the, in the basement. And Sheriff you know, he knows in. his only chance to, 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 to he has to do this. Right. Uh, yeah. The sheriff comes back in and finds Paul and, and he shoots him in the back. She shoots the sheriff. I've been waiting ah, for the whole episode. She didn't <laughs> kill the deputy. deputy. <laughs> no, his wife. No, no. Cause she wasn't there with him. All right. She would have <laughs> shot him both though. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so she says, tells Paul after this, like after she literally shoots the sheriff, um, she says we were meant to be together forever and basically makes like a suicide pact with him. Like if you die, mm-hmm. we all have to die. It's like, we're going to spend eternity together. Um, they're yeah. on their way. And she's like, we got it. We got to do it now. Cause they're on their way. She said, wait, wait, wait. You want me to finish the book though? Right. We're going to finish the book. Then we'll do it. Like we'll do it. Just Buying let me finish time. the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smart man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he says by dawn, he can finish, but like, what's his, what's his plan? Uh, and his plan, uh, is that he's going to light the book on fire. And like, that's like his revenge is like, here it is. You don't I get love to read how it. Sets it up because he has, she knows so much about him that he uses that. So he's like, what right. are my, what are my three requests when I'm done with the book? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a cigarette. Even though you quit smoking years ago, but after you finish every novel, you smoke a cigarette. You need, um, so one Lucky Strike, one match, and one glass of Dong Perignon. Um, <laughs> Dong Perignon. Uh, I love how she says it to you. Um, Dong Perignon. Um, and he's it's like, so yep, cute. exactly right. So she goes and gets it, but he's like, she only brought one glass in. And he's like, no, 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 you need to go get two glasses. So while she's mm-hmm. going to get that second glass, because she knew he, she would only bring one because she was just doing whatever he wanted, he sets up the fire situation. Mm-hmm. Because he got the lighter fluid from when he was down in the basement and he has it and he's just like, and so he lights the book on fire. And when she goes to like put it out, he smashes her over the head with typewriter, yes. which looks heavy as fuck. 
Um, and then like the, uh, the arms on fire and they're choking each other. And she, she tells him, I'm going to kill you lying cocksucker. And you're like, Ooh, Whoa. goodness. That's not all Oogie anymore. What happened to Ooh. her language and her phraseology? She's cursing. Now she shoots him in the shoulder and they're fighting back and forth. And, um, uh, she pulls, yeah, he pulls himself out of the room and she pounces. And eventually he gets to this doorstop that he grabs and smashes her over the head. Uh, which finally, after they have a mad drag out fight, works. Yeah, uh, and he's also he also shoves the pages of the burned novel in her mouth, like t- trying to choke her with it. But I think that's pretty good as well. Poetic justice for sure. Eat your eat the words, eat these words. Uh, but then, of course, it comes back for her last scare. Eighteen months dead. later, <laughs> uh, where she he is now walking with a cane, but he's fine, and he's uh, working on his new book. Uh, the higher education of Philip Stone, and he thinks that he sees her coming towards him in the restaurant as a waitress. Yeah, as he's uh, having lunch with Lauren Bacall, his agent, and it looks like she's coming towards him with a knife again. But it turns out it's another lady who's going to tell him one of the scariest lines of all time: "I'm your number one fan." Um, so he's just going to live in fear and see her face everywhere he goes for the rest of his life. Basically, is what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it it, interesting. About PTSD, also, right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, another small change here is that um, in the book, uh, Paul actually only burns the cop the top page of his new misery novel, um, and is burning just blank paper beneath, and saves the actual misery novel and publishes that, and that's like his next book. Oh, so. that yeah, that makes sense too. Wow, what a crazy thing! We can get right to that gore factor if it's all right with you, my love. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, actually, I don't have it in front of me. That's really funny. I'm going to have to have you. I'll do it for you. (laughs) All right. Uh, one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood and five is run for the barf bag. Uh, I think we can give this one five. Five for gore. Five. Full five. Those those, that hobbling scene alone. Yikes. Tis enough. And Uh, then he like gouges out her eyes later. And then there's like the sheriff literally gets shot through the middle of his freaking body. It's like you can Mm -hmm. literally see through his body from that gunshot. So, yep. Okay. And then we got, we got movie ratings. One, if you're desperate Two, better qualifies as a horror film. Three seen worse, seen better Four, not too shabby and five fantastical. I give misery a five. I also give this a five. All around. All around. Yay. (laughs) This was awesome. And I also really enjoyed it. Like, right. Like I said, right before I watched this film, I watched, um, Vanity Fair has been doing these fun career retrospectives with people like Jamie Lee Curtis and like, you know, all these wonderful actors and actresses. Um, but Kathy Bates won, um, they talked about her whole career and she talked about getting misery and how she got the role. And just like when she was filming it, she, you know, was just trying to just do a good job because it was her first, like, you know, major, um, full starring role. She'd been doing a lot of theater and other stuff and had done some films, you know, before, but like, this was her first, like, she's the freaking, you know, the, the, the lead. And so, um, while she was filming it, her, the crew, the crew guys were like, Hey, you better get your Oscar dress ready. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she went on to win. So I think just amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. amazing. So deserved. So deserved, but like even like that, the cast and crew were like, "Damn, like girl, get ready!" Like she was like, "What are you?" Like she was just, she was so focused on doing a good job, and you can see that, and it kind of works so great for this character too, because Annie, that's all she wants. She's like, "I just want to do good. Do I do good? Did I do a good yeah. job?" And it like shows through so much. That's why I was saying the energy. I think would be so different from like mm-hmm. an Angelica Houston, you know, from like that kind of a dynasty family to to this. It's I don't know, just different, different come from. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of different come froms, we're going to uh, go in a totally a different direction next week uh, with a film called The Eyes of My Mother, uh, which neither one of us has seen, but are excited to see, of course. Always. Um, and we things. hope that you will join us on our social media. We, we love to talk to you on all of our accounts. Um, and please do uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, now more than ever, support in the indie artists who uh, rely on on your do- generous donations. <laughs> we really appreciate it. I hope you guys have been enjoying some of the content we've putting up, been putting out there and we'll do more conversations and whatnot for you guys, especially during this time um, in isolation. We love to connect with each other. And we love to connect with you guys, especially. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Um, yeah. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff and patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide. We'll see you next week for eyes of my mother. <laughs> <laughs>